Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty questions and give you an insider's look at the beauty product industry. This is episode 199. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and joining me today is my co-host, Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. All the way from Arizona. All the way from Phoenix area-ish, Arizona. Excellent. Well, Valerie, we got a great show today. You know what we're going to talk about? Uh, Tell us, what are we going to have on the air today? Uh, Today we're going to talk about whether you should take collagen supplements, whether there's a difference between men and women's hair care, whether tea tree oil is as effective as benzoyl peroxide for acne, and can vitamin C change color. But first, before we get into the regular show, Valerie, why don't you tell us how you're doing? I'm okay. Uh, As we mentioned, I'm in Phoenix-ish, Arizona. It's very dry out here. I thought California was dry, but man, it is dry out here. But it's a hot dry, right? Yeah, definitely hot. It's it's very warm. And I had to go uh, out into the desert to my location. And I thought, well, I'd roll down the windows. I'm in the wilderness. And it just smelled like a campfire the whole ride. So. Oh, they got fires out there too? Well, I couldn't see anything, but it Maybe people are burning wood in their stoves. Ah. I don't know. It's about 75 degrees outside. Oh, my. How does that affect your skin at all? Any, any, anything you notice there? Well, I haven't been here long enough this trip to notice anything yet, but typically I just tend to feel dry. So I have some squalling, and I usually pack that with me, and I just add a drop or so into my moisturizer. And does that affect your sense of, sense of humor, too? Is it? dry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have been known to have a dry sense of humor, but what I should have brought with me are some sheet masks. Well, actually, that reminds me yesterday, my wife and I were taking a little walk around Chicago and somehow she dragged me into this mask store. You're so lucky. She had to drag you, really? No, no, she didn't have to drag me, but <laughs> you know, I'm always very interested to see what kind of products are out there. This store was um it was like a Korean beauty store. And so it was just all Korean products imported from Korea and things. Wow. What was the coolest mask you saw? Uh, Well, you know, what was interesting to me about the masks was, you know, they're all like uh, propylene glycol and glycerin. Yeah. Yeah. They're usually based on propylene glycol, butylene glycol. There isn't a whole lot to the formula other than an extract. And typically that leads with one of the glycols. Yeah, and and there were the a lot of the regular stuff. There were hyaluronic acid. Um, there was uh, calendula, the soothing mask, little rose blossom. What we got a ton of them. Ceramides. It was like every every beauty product or ingredient that you've heard advertised in skincare. They had a mask for that. <laughs> they had the placenta mask too. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, that's that's not for me. <laughs> but you know what's you know it's funny like. I see masks as very gimmicky. Uh, it seems to me that if you use a good skin moisturizer, a mask isn't going to give you much benefit. But my wife, who is also a cosmetic chemist, uh, she just loves these masks. So it, there must be something more to it than at least that I know, right? 
Yeah, they're fun. And I will say not all masks are treated the same. I think Dr. Jart makes a couple really nice masks that aren't based on glycerin or propanediol or any of the glycols. Um, oh, I got a doctor. I got a Dr. Jart one there. Huh? Oh, that's a nice one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Skin art and science. Huh. Well, there you go. Uh, I'm sure I'll, I'll have to report in to see how Shannon liked those. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Shall we get on to some beauty science news? Yeah, last week we all saw this article. Two representatives from New York State introduced a bill to the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. called the Natural Cosmetics Act. Yeah, this act aims to define the terms natural and naturally derived, which currently have no meaning. Well, that's a pretty big challenge since they can't even define something as simple as hypoallergenic. Well, under this bill, cosmetics using the term natural, hopefully this will give it a definition, must contain at least 70% natural substances excluding water, and this bill would also impact the ingredient suppliers too. So ingredient suppliers would be required to prove their ingredients are natural through carbon-14 testing, which must be submitted to the manufacturers or brands using the ingredient. Carbon-14 testing can detect if there are any synthetic petroleum-based molecules in an ingredient. And it can also detect how old uh, a dinosaur fossil is. (laughs) Well, if this bill goes into law, it would have to be done, and we'll get to what I think about that testing in a second. So additionally, this bill would give the FDA authority to issue a cease distribution order or ask for a voluntary recall for any product deemed misbranded. So kind of the power that they have right now, I guess, right? Exactly. And while I'm excited to see something move forward that defines natural, I think there are some flaws. And of course there are, otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it. (laughs) Well, there are a lot of challenges to this, as we already talked about. Well, what are some of the other challenges? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is this whole concept of what defines a natural ingredient. Yeah. For example, sodium benzoate, a preservative that's used in natural product circles pretty widely, is technically naturally occurring in nature. However, it's usually synthetically produced in today's market to make it commercially viable. It's just not produced in high enough quantities in nature to be used in the levels we consume it at in our products, and it would be very expensive. So it's made synthetically. Would this ingredient that's nature identical be disqualified with the new law? Yeah, that's a good question, and that's that's only one ingredient. There are lots of ingredients uh, that are often used in natural formulating that are really synthetic, and they call them natural only because uh, you can find that ingredient out in nature, but it's synthesized in a lab to mass produce it. And going back to carbon-14 testing, that's only one test for naturalness and speaks nothing to natural purity. You can adulterate natural ingredients with other contaminants pretty easily, or they can come that way from Mother Nature, and there's no single test that can guarantee the naturalness. You kind of need an arsenal at your hands. So, for example, with fragrances and essential oils, an instrument I like to use is GCMS, short for Gas Chromatography Mass Spectrometry, and it is an extremely sensitive test that helps identify all of the very small components that are present. Fragrances and essential oils are very complex mixtures, and that's really the go-to standard test to ensure that you're accounting for everything present. 
Additionally, chirality testing is really important to use since technically um, in nature, a plant produces one type of compound and then you can have another compound and it's a mirror image of each other. So in instrumentation, you could pick it up as the same compound, but unless you do chirality testing, you're not going to know which one is which. Right. Uh, that's one way you can tell something synthesized in a lab versus something that was made by a plant because um, molecules have this uh, property called chirality where they can be either a left, left-handed left or a right-handed molecule. Now, plants, uh, I think plants mostly produce left-handed molecules um, just, just because everything's produced through enzymes, and so you always get that same molecule. Whereas uh, when we create something in a lab, we just sort of dump stuff into a beaker and we don't have control over whether it's going to go left-handed or right-handed and usually you get a, about a 50-50 mix of that and so one way you can tell if something is from a plant is the ratio of that chirality of the molecules. Additionally, I'm concerned that we're introducing this new standard of naturalness when there's already an international standard of naturalness that exists the International Organization for Standardization, ISO, is a really highly regarded organization, and they put out all these standards that tell you you're performing some action to the most thorough and high degree. So they have an ISO standard for naturalness, how much naturalness a compound has, and they're pretty easy to get. You just contact your raw material supplier and say, hey, I need percent naturalness of this ingredient for the ISO standard, and they either provide you the number or full calculation or both. So suppliers already have this capability available, and so we should just use that standard and implement it as part of our regulation. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me, although I imagine all of the uh, other natural standards like the uh, Cosmos out in Europe or the Natural Products Association here in the United States would probably want people to use their standards. So that's, you know, all these competing organizations could really start to hold up the the bill. And that could be one reason that it wouldn't pass. Exactly. And maybe that's an opportunity for a new international naturalness method. I don't know. What I do like about the ISO standard is that it also takes into consideration chemical manufacturing that the ingredients undergo. So for example, many brands brag about their coconut-based surfactants, but they don't realize how much chemical modification these plant materials undergo to become finished raw materials. Yeah, well, actually, I, I think of, I always think it's funny to see natural body wash, for example, and they're using uh, alkyl polyglucosides. And I'm like, there's no alkyl polyglucosides that exist in any plant in nature. It's, it's a synthesized ingredient. I know it's starting material is plant, of course, but it's chemically reacted to produce that molecule. Exactly. And the last thing that really bothers me about this bill is this 70% number that is issued. I'd love to see in detail where that came from. I didn't know if it was a parallelization of the USDA organic requirements. Can you just call your product natural at 70%? Like, for example, if you have 72%, you know, can you just say, hey, my product's natural? Or are you required to make a percentage claim of 72%? I can think of a lot of things that are in the balance of the 30%. So so what if your product is 70% natural? Big deal. That's not very hard. What's in the 30%? I don't know. The whole thing just bothers me. It probably did come from the USDA because that's their minimum level to be able to say made with organic ingredients. 
but yeah, it seems kind of arbitrary. The, actually, the the whole definition of natural seems arbitrary to me because once you allow like these chemical reactions to produce things that would be useful co for cosmetics, it seems like that's not really natural. Although to me, everything's natural because there's only natural and supernatural and <laughs> I don't really believe in the supernatural. So, All right, why don't we move on to our next story? Yeah, what'd you read about this week? <laughs> I was uh, stumbling through Allure and they had this story about... Uh, teenagers on tiktok doing do you know what tiktok is i do know what tiktok it's it used to be called musically i actually have a little tiktok uh, account but but i only uh, <laughs> all right no i, so I you only, can communicate with the 12 year olds in the world to, to communicate with my 12 year old niece actually oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but we don't really use it much anymore but anyway i was i was reading this article on the lure and there's this thing called the purple hair challenge uh, and it just, it seems like teenagers are, they're getting purple shampoo and they're pouring the entire bottle of purple shampoo on their head in an attempt to either make their hair turn purple or turn icy blonde. And then they record it, of course, on their TikTok and share it. You don't need a whole bottle to do that. No, no, but they want, that's the whole bit. You put the whole bottle. You know, remember how there was that ice bucket challenge? This is yeah. the this is the purple shampoo challenge. Where you it's put an it ice bucket challenge in a different way because you want your hair to look like ice. Yeah. Now, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting to see what they're doing. And um, I watch a couple of these TikToks and... You know, essentially, they put it in, and some people's hair is purple, and just probably because they didn't wash it all out. And other people's hair that was blonde, and it's it's still blonde, so it doesn't seem to be doing much of anything. There was one, there was one TikTok video that they shared though, which I found quite amusing because uh, so there are all the people saying, "Oh, here's this purple hair and made or purple shampoo, and it made my hair like really look great." And incidentally, the purple is there. Um, purple is used to uh, offset the brassiness of blondes, and so that's why you have purple shampoos. But there was one person who s claimed she was an esthetician and she's trained, and she, she was just calling people stupid, especially for people who were using uh, it on brown hair because she's like, "That's not going to do anything." Uh, <laughs> but then she went on to explain that you know if you purple shampoo pulls the yellow tones out you have to use a blue shampoo to pull out the orange tones and you need to use a green shampoo to move remove the red tones <laughs> well she's not wrong i mean that's basic color theory you're applying two complementary colors to each other and they cancel out each other out to neutralize them you don't really pull the tones out color is additive you're not removing anything so right. you're just adding two colors together but I think. Do you think people are disappointed their hair isn't more purple when they're using it? Um, I, actually, I think teenagers just uh, get off on using up a whole bottle of shampoo in one <laughs> in one sitting. Well, so, I'll tell you why. So typically, yeah. these purple shampoos use acid violet forty three or something like that, uh, which is yeah. actually a pretty weak um, dye. So it doesn't do a whole lot. And in fact, you only need like a very tiny bit of acid violet 43 in a shampoo formula to get it to look very dark purple, but it's we, not going to put that amount of purple on your head. Yeah. We used violet number two. 
external DNC violet number two. Yep. That's yeah. another name for acid violet 43. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, there we go. <laughs> so, yeah. And and that was also always dye that turned gray people's hair like blue. And so that's why you have the blue haired old ladies, right? Yep. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, but that... The, the notion that got me was she's saying that like a green shampoo is going to remove red overtones. But just I, I just think people will get this sense that, oh, there's uh, my prel is is green. So I could use this. To, and there's just not enough dye in there to have that effect. No, no. It has to be very specific color depositing formulations. So exactly. if you're interested in any of that TikTok challenge, just make sure it's a color depositing formula. Yeah. And if you do it, uh, let us know. I'd love to see it. (laughs) Are you ready for some beauty questions? Let's get to it. All right. KH says, hi, is there any difference in the formulas between men's and women's shampoos besides the fragrance? Suave Professional Men Daily Clean Shampoo says, refreshing shampoo made specifically for men's hair. Is this BS? Thanks. Oh, boy. men's The men's market is really going to take off, isn't it? <laughs> I've been hearing that since 1992. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I look at the claim, refreshing shampoo specifically made for men's hair, I, I don't think like, wow, there's something extra special about the actual shampoo. That just means they had men in mind when they made it. So that could come from the color, the fragrance, the branding it for men it actually could have nothing to do with the formula. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I was I was thinking, and the 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 main difference between men's products, just in general, and women's products, is pretty much the fragrance and the packaging, mm-hmm. and maybe the color, right? Yeah, well, I mean, what makes a shampoo a shampoo are surfactants and detergents, and whether you're formulating that for your women's hair, men's hair, or a body wash, surfactant technology is surfactant technology. Yeah, and you know, uh, while I was walking around with my wife yesterday, going to mask stores. Uh, Did you find anything for men? <laughs> there, there were stuff for men. Nothing I bought, though. I'm, I'm not much of a purchaser. But it did occur to me, I, I, I got the thought, is there any product that you would formulate different, except, you know, forget fragrance and color and packaging, forget that. Are there, is there any beauty product that you would make differently specifically for women versus the same kind of product for men? Yes. Oh, really? Sunscreen. My husband is such a wuss when it comes to sunscreen. Okay. And he's always complaining, oh, it's in my eyes and (laughs) and stuff. So I would formulate a sunscreen special for him and maybe some other men that I know. Oh, all right. (laughs) I mean... I get that same eye thing, but I think that same thing happens to women, right? The eye sting? Well, no, because I uh, typically buy uh, titanium dioxide-containing formulations. Ah, wow. Well, that well, there is that example. Then. But <laughs> for the most part, I think most of the difference between men and women's beauty products is just the marketing story. There you go. Let's move on to our first audio question. I say first, it's our last two, but (laughs) (laughs) let me cue up this one from Kristen. Hey, Beauty Brains. So I heard that pure tea tree oil is just as effective at removing blemishes as benzoyl peroxide. And I also heard that you don't have to dilute it 
in a carrier oil like you have to with other essential oils. How true is this? Thanks for that question, Kristen. You know, we seem to get a lot of questions from Australia, don't we? Well, I'm glad we have listeners there. And when I go to Australia one day, Perry's been very lucky to go. Even as of recent, uh, maybe I'll get to go one day and our Australian listeners can tell me what to do. That's right. We need to do a joint trip out there and we could record an episode, a live show out in Australia. (laughs) That'd be (laughs) great. So let's talk a bit about tea tree oil. Uh, Tea tree oil, boy, that used to be the... When when I first started in the cosmetic industry, that was like the miracle ingredient that everybody wanted. And I guess it's still around, right? Oh, yeah. I I may or may not work for a brand that uses a lot of tea tree oil. And tea tree oil, if you've ever smelled it, is not exactly pleasant. Very terpene-y, right? Like like turpentine to me, I think. Yeah, you typically have to tame it down with other items. So... I think a lot of brands do that, and I'm not sure most people really know what pure tea tree oil smells like. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with you. It does not smell good. But as just uh, just as an aside, the tea tree oil is an oil that comes from a tree native to Australia. Um, called uh, It's also called Melaleuca oil because it's the Melaleuca plant. Uh, I guess it's the Latin name for the plant. And it's thought to have be... Uh, an antibacterial or have antibacterial properties, uh, which is why it's suggested for stuff like using it against dandruff and using it to cure athlete's foot and apparently using it on acne products. So as far as how well it works, well, all I can say is the results will vary. So I did look through the literature. Now, to tell you the truth, at first I just kind of dismissed this and said, oh, it's kind of a folklore ingredient. As no, a, it's it's really, really of, used. There's yeah. a popular K-Beauty uh, website that sells this tea tree oil spot treatment. Oh, I very much uh, believe that it's used a lot. Now, I was just very skeptical that it did anything. But I, but I went into the literature, and there was a nice review of it. And in recent review, they have... They had actually seven studies specifically looked at tea tree oil and how it works when when used in acne. And six of those were comparison stories, and one of them actually looked at a comparison of tea tree versus benzoyl peroxide, which is exactly the question. So in this study, this study found that indeed tea tree oil does have a positive impact on acne, at least in this study. And after a three months of treatment, the lesion counts were significantly reduced for both tea tree oil and benzoyl peroxide. Ooh. But benzoyl peroxide performed significantly better than tea tree oil at one, two, and three months. So both of them worked. Benzoyl peroxide worked better. Um, skin oiliness differed significantly between uh, the groups, and there was less oiliness experience between the by the people who were using benzoyl peroxide the one difference was that adverse uh, events like dryness and stinging those were reported more significantly with benzoyl peroxide than with the tea tree oil group was this study uh, blind did the people know which treatment they were getting did it say actually it was a double blind 
placebo okay. or, or double blind study. It, that's one of the things. It wasn't placebo controlled. It was just double blind. But at least so. it was double blind. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. But so, I mean, you would be able to smell, right? <laughs> well, yeah, that, that would, <laughs> I guess it would be difficult to really blind that. So that is yeah. one of the problems. The other problem is they looked at it at 5% use level. So both the benzoyl peroxide and the tea tree oil were at 5%. And you know, you could use a lower level of benzoyl peroxide. For example, the FDA monograph is 2.5% to 10%. So mm-hmm. a lower level might have got rid of some of those uh, adverse reactions. So um, Yeah, but 5% seems to be the benchmark level in a lot of studies that I've read. I, I read a study about benzoyl peroxide versus gluconolactone once, and mm-hmm. 5% was the was the level. Yeah. And so in, in that way, it does appear that tea tree oil is effective, at least in this one study. And there were a number of other studies that showed it was at least a, a bit effective for being anti-acne. So the answer is uh, no, it's not better than benzoyl peroxide, but yes, it still could work for acne. Now I should add that one of the biggest problems with using tea tree oil is that there is no standardized way to get the ingredient. It can be harvested in a variety of ways, so you might get some of the potent tea tree oil, or you might just get some non-potent tea tree oil. Oh, I assure you, Perry, all of that stuff is potent. But (laughs) I I do get your point, Um, and... You know, as we've noted before, that's just the problem with any natural ingredient. There's climate, there's um, geography, there's uh, what kind of manufacturing is in the area. A lot of things impact the outcome of a a plant ingredient. But I will say there is an ISO standard for tea tree oil. Is there? And it goes through every component of the tea tree oil and says you basically have to be through but in between these levels for this component to be considered tea tree oil. Ah, well, that's that's interesting. Now, uh, I guess that also assumes that the manufacturers uh, adhering to ISO standards, which we can't always say happens either. Yeah, and you actually have to request tea tree oil that meets the ISO standard. Ah, yes. So, mm-hmm. so the bottom line is, if you're having a problem with benzoyl peroxide, you know, you might try tea tree oil. But between the two ingredients, I'd have more faith uh, in benzoyl peroxide uh, than an ingredient of unknown quality like tea tree oil. All right. So this next question comes to us from Instagram. Chelsea recently came across an interesting product from a brand called Pharmacy. You can find them at Sephora. They're known for their honey-based salve and mask. The packaging's really cute. I've purchased a couple products from them. I really enjoyed this lip balm they had in a pop. I actually bought it twice. I lost it two times. <laughs> I, I have no idea where it went. Sometimes what I do is I, I go around and I, I pile together all my lip balms and I and I find this huge pile. They, they just get scattered. But <laughs> these two I really never did recover. So anyway, back to the question. Uh, the product that Chelsea came across is the Bright On Massage Activated Vitamin C Mask. In the description, amongst other things, Pharmacy states the following... As you massage it into your skin, the vitamin C capsules burst, turning the mask from lavender to green, so you know it's working to bring out your brightest, most perfect skin. Oh, color change. Nice. I have personally never heard of vitamin C changing color in such a manner to indicate efficacy or activation. How or why does this supposedly work, or is it just a gimmick? And we'll post... Uh, a link to the product in the show notes. I actually have never tried this specific one. I've thought of trying it. 
Um, but I'm always waiting for Sephora to have their rouge sale, which is going on now. So maybe I should get it wow. uh, so I can get 20% off. But thanks, Chelsea, for the question. We love deciphering products and seeing if they really do uh, what they say they do. Unfortunately, it's not a mad- magic trick. It's just chemistry. Ah, which can be a magic trick. <laughs> <laughs> It depends who you ask. So uh, they're they're telling the truth. The vitamin C is probably encapsulated in a micelle of sorts or some liposome to help stabilize it. Depending on which comp- company's encapsulation they've used, there are many release mechanisms for bursting the encapsulation that's hiding the vitamin C. So in this case, maybe it's uh, pressure with the mechanical rubbing onto the skin. I really can't be sure. The rest of the formula has the colorant in it, and this colorant is probably pH sensitive, meaning at one pH, it looks a certain color. And when the pH changes, let's say your pH is high and it goes to low, the colorant will display a different color. And that's because the electrons are shifting as the product is going through some sort of change and that results in a color shift. So in this product, two things could be happening. One, when the vitamin C encapsulates burst, the encapsulate materials cause the pH shift in the formula, or when the product is applied to the skin, regardless of what the encapsulation is doing, and this is what I think is really happening, the product's pH is shifted just by being applied to your skin, Mm, and you get the color shift because of the two uh, colorants in the product. So while the vitamin C itself isn't causing a color change, the product does indeed change color because of the colorants. It's all due to pH pH. And it's a pretty fundamental science trick. So while it is a little gimmicky, it's also pretty fun. And who knows, maybe the product is really nice to use on your face and you get a cool party trick. Yeah. But the I guess the, the thing is the, the color changing thing really doesn't have much to do with making the product work. Yeah. No, it has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> it's just cool. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Better living through chemistry. Yeah, what's our last question? Oh, this one's a doozy. This one comes through us from Akausua. I hope I pronounced your name correctly, but hello, Beauty Brains. I am a new subscriber to your podcast and have been learning so much from binge listening to past episodes. Well, all right, we have 199 of them, so (laughs) that could be some time. (laughs) I wonder if you can look at the information in the following link and comment on some of the claims made. Uh, I take supplements sporadically, usually when in winter, we're getting into that season in England now. I have tried collagen supplements in the past, but found it made no difference in my skin. I continue to take vitamin C, D, and sometimes a multivitamin as an insurance policy. Am I wasting my money? Thank you. Uh, And I should note there was a video that was attached to the question, which I'll link in the show notes, um, which the video was a dermatologist going through and explaining uh, why you need supplements to improve your skin. Was the dermatologist paid? Uh, He wasn't paid. He was selling supplements for your skin. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, there's always some link when there's a dermatologist going on. It's it's awful. They're like, they're the shills of the medical world. Oh, man. And I go to a dermatologist I, I love her because she never tries to sell one product. If you're interested, she can show you. But the ones who who push, man. Mm. Yeah, you do. You do. It does raise an eyebrow. You're like, yeah. Why do you got to make money off a product when you should be making money off of 
dermatologist procedures, right? <laughs> but having said all that, um, I, I would say, I, I looked into this a bit, and I would say that the evidence for collagen supplements improving your skin is pretty weak. Although it's not completely devoid of research, as you know most of these supplements are, uh, but the studies that are out there, they're often not blinded, and they're not very impressive, and they're sponsored by supplement companies. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> there were at least there were at least two studies that they, they said they were double blind, placebo controlled, but the name of the supplement was in the name of the title of the research paper. <laughs> Which seem kind of yeah, weird. Yeah, and they're to not going to publish a bad paper, right? Or they're only going to choose to reflect evidence in their favor. Exactly. That's called yeah. the publication bias, right? And so they sort of just uh, put all the ones in the drawers that didn't come out the way they wanted it to, <laughs> right? So anyway, in in this study that was published in 2014, a, a study published in the Clinical Intervention on Aging Journal. They concluded that taking specific supplements, uh, which consisted of hydrolyzed collagen, hyaluronic acid, vitamins, and minerals, they counteracted the signs of aging, including skin dryness, wrinkles, and nasolabilia full depth, which I guess is uh, floppy skin or some depth, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it also increased skin firmness. So that's what that study found. And then I looked a little further. There was a literature review published in the Journal of Drugs and Dermatology, and their conclusion was that preliminary results are promising for short-term and long-term use of oral collagen supplements for wound healing and skin aging. So essentially, these two, these two places published sort of uh, some positive thoughts about it. It should be noted that the anti-aging effect that you would get from collagen supplements was more obvious in women aged more than 30 years. Of, oh. course, of course, yeah, because 20-year-olds don't look like they have aged skin. <laughs> I didn't... Well, I've seen a couple 20-year-olds who have hit the tanning bed a little too hard. Uh, <laughs> that's right. You're from California. <laughs> so now the problems with taking these collagen supplements, to me, the problems with studies like this is that there's no standardized quality control. Maybe they're following the ISO standards. I don't know. But if you looked at all the studies, there was never one where they just tested collagen supplements versus nothing. And so they'd always have a collagen supplement with, uh, you know, vitamin C in it or hyaluronic acid in it or some sort of mineral. And so what, what are they really testing? Uh, you know, is it the collagen? I don't know. Is it is it something else? I, I, I don't really know. So it's hard to say whether taking collagen supplements is really important or not or it's something else in the supplement. The other problem is you don't really know what you are taking. At least in the United States, the supplements industry is is barely regulated, and you can never have faith in what you're getting. In fact, there was a study back in 2016 in New York. Uh, the New York uh, State's attorney went around looking at, t and they just picked up supplements from different uh, stores, Walgreens, CVS, for example, and they ran studies on them, and they found that a lot of, you know, 80% of the studies or 80% of the samples that they found didn't contain the materials that they said were in them. And so that's just the, the quality control in supplements is just really hard to know. And so one of the claims in this video that the guy said was that you should use a high-quality supplement. I'm like, if you're a consumer, you have no way of knowing what's a high-quality supplement. Yeah, there's so much marketing jazz on the containers that, it is really hard to tell, and you want to be purchasing from a company that's 
doing all of the right testing. Well, what's the right testing? It's right. very clouded. And anybody can get into it, and the po- the profits are so high. It's 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 just it's just a landscape that is ripe for charlatans and things. And so, as a consumer, <laughs> I would be wary of any supplements that wasn't prescribed by your doctor. Now, one other thing that I would say about this study is that they also didn't have a positive control group. And what they would do is they did do double blind studies, right? They'd have a placebo, which would be a supplement pill that I guess had nothing in it. And they would have the collagen one, right? And then they would say, they would test them over time and they would say, they would take measurements on the skin and say, oh, the skin's better with the supplement versus the placebo, which is fine, but that's not really what consumers want to know. What As a consumer, what you want to know is whether, is using that collagen better than using, say, a skin lotion every day? And they don't, they never have a study where it compares what consumers would be doing something like that. And so when you just test it versus a placebo and you see some benefits, that doesn't mean you wouldn't have got more of a benefit from testing it or from using a lotion and spending mm-hmm. your money on a lotion. And so you as a consumer, the better strategy to me still is using a lotion. Yeah, it's, it's really important to look at those claims and delve into the details and see what exactly they, they've been doing because chances are it's not a fair comparison anyway. Yeah. Now, maybe I'm a bit too cynical about the supplement industry, but I don't really see a good reason to take collagen supplements. Uh, on the other hand, it's not completely without evidence, so maybe, but, you know, I'm not going to take them. <laughs> yeah, there's these collagen drinks. They're all the rage. You can purchase them pre-liquefied or you can get the collagen already in a powder form, vital collagen is is one of them, and you could add this huge sachet to your coffee drink or something else. And I've I've tried a couple. I've had friends who've had, it and they said, "Hey, do you want to try some?" And I've said, "Sure." It doesn't taste very good, and it's <laughs> kind it's kind of expensive. So, um, yeah. And two, uh, if you are Um, a vegetarian, you need to be careful about the source that you're getting your collagen from because some of it is animal derived. That was actually the, the, the dermatologist guy in this video that, Mm -hmm. uh, he he did say that like the collagen that they make, uh, comes from animals. And (laughs) he also said you should use bone broth. (laughs) You should drink bone broth. And that of course, of course, didn't come from plants either. That was animals. So I don't know. This guy was selling a lot of stuff. Well, to be fair, I mean, animals aren't killed because we need collagen for beauty supplements. It's really a a byproduct of the meat industry. So if you're eating steaks and hamburgers and all that kind of stuff, you shouldn't have any problem consuming this. Um, You know, the animals aren't being killed for that. Right. It's nothing extra. So now for the ultimate question, are you wasting your money? If you're looking for collagen supplements to do something that you're going to notice, then you're probably wasting your money. But if it makes you feel good taking this and feels better about your life, then maybe it's worth it. It wouldn't be worth it to me. Yeah, there's a meme going around where um, someone drinks a glass of water and then they feel like super fit. Afterwards, that's me. So if, (laughs) you know, if you if you take these collagen supplements and you feel great and you feel healthy, I, I think that's half the battle. Right. Whether they're doing something or not, that's a whole different story. (laughs) And sometimes that doesn't matter.
I think that's all the time we have. Oh, it is. Yeah, somebody's got to go to bed. <laughs> is that me or you? <laughs> no, it's already midnight here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. That's okay. Arizona doesn't participate in the time change, so uh. I'm like, <laughs> when it comes to like what time it is. So. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Hey, if you get a chance, can you go over to iTunes and leave us a review? That will help other people find the show and ensure we get lots more questions from people. Speaking of beauty questions, if you want to ask a question, click the link in the show notes or record an audio question on your phone and send it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. I love audio questions because they sound better on the podcast. Indeed. Also, follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. And we had some fascinating discussion about hyaluronic acid and glycerin last week. Uh, on Twitter, we're The Beauty Brains, and we have a Facebook page too. Also, we're on Patreon. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens! <laughs>